You're listening to the Sprues and Brews podcast, your weekly podcast looking at all things Warhammer. Hello and welcome to episode 163 of the Sprues and Brews podcast. My name is Dave and I'm joined once again by Matt. Hello. Jay. Whoa. And Andy. Good evening, chaps. First and foremost, welcome back, Matt, because you, ha- you had last week off because I believe you were chained to your work desk. I was, I was. And I have been most of the day, but I managed to escape this time, so that's good. I guess speaking of escape, that segues quite nicely into the, uh, the main segment of this episode as well. It absolutely does, because uh, all three of you have uh, been to a certain event this last weekend. We have. We've been trying to escape from Pancalis, which was an epic uh crusader then that we'll be talking about a bit later in the show yes that's also going to tie nicely into our top three as well as the guys will be talking about their top three moments from the weekend but on this uh super special podcast this week we also have an interview with chris chatting about elder scrolls uh adventure board game uh which is currently up on Gamefound. Um, so yeah, that's that, that's really exciting, and um, you definitely want to stick around for that. And of course, we're going to be talking about all the latest Warhammer news, and um, first and foremost, what we've been doing in the hobby this week. So Matt, do you want to start us off? What have you been up to in the hobby this week? So I, I it's all a bit of a blur for me because I wasn't here last week. But I think the main thing that I was working on was getting my orcs finished ready for Pancalis. Uh, I, I love the Beastnagger range. I've got, yeah. you know, quite, I've, I've got pretty much all of the the, the Beastnagger stuff done. I kind of want to make it a full 2,000 points Beastnagger army. I mean, mm. if I'm if I'm honest, I'll stick around a bit because them um, kill rigs are probably going to go up in points, making a big chunk of that. But mm. uh, yeah, oh, they're so so good. They're, they're really good in game. They look really nice. Really enjoy painting them up. Uh, it's one of the best kind of sub ranges GW have done, and that's. Something that I wonder if we'll see for Eldar, because obviously all the all the new releases this time were kind of centred around the Beast Snaggers, weren't they? Mm-hmm. So is that what they'll do, you know, going forward? Take a a section of a faction and you know do a decent release around that, and then next time visit something else. I think it's quite a nice way of tying an army together, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah let's let's use their old um, kits as well and pick up the new stuff to add to an army, because I guess that's the challenge Games Workshop have, aren't they? If they just release codexes and no new kits. Um, yeah. you know, you're only attracting new customers who are new to the army, whereas this way you've got existing orc players can now expand their range with brand new orc kits for new units and new models. It's a good system, I think. Yeah, it really is. And uh, I have been building the models out of Warcry, Red Harvest, and oh my, they are very tasty. They are fiddly. I don't know if any of you guys have built any Warcry models, but they are, they're more yeah. akin to um, Malifaux in parts and size of those parts where they're a little bit fiddly but they mm. do look absolutely gorgeous i don't know if there's a different sculptor maybe who does all of them they are you'll know you've built some haven't you jay you know what i mean they're kind of lots of small yeah. fiddly bits and there is a stylistic style to all of the war cry stuff that goes amazingly That's now of the uh, is it the corvus cabal the corvus cabal yeah so I was, I was i was building models for a couple of hours last night i built three uh, but they are gorgeous <laughs> models um so yeah i'm looking forward to getting some paint on these and playing Warcry red harvest i don't think we spoke about it last week check out the website we've got a whole review on there and a video it is ace yeah looks really really cool um jay what have you been up to in the hobby this week 
Um, so yeah, so, so I'm trying to remember. So so last week it was putting together the 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 forces for the weekend's event. <clears throat> so I was <clears throat> working on the Craft World Eldar, and I, I regret to say I've not finished my Harling branches yet, but I will get back to them. Um, as I decided to take the Ultramarines instead, so I wanted to um, paint a Redemptor Dreadnought with Plasma Cannon to, to take along with my force, so, so I was working on that. Um, I have also, though, we, we've been looking off uh, Games Workshop have sent us uh, the, the new um, Primaris Helbrecht, uh, High Marshal mm. Helbrecht, and the new um, really, really cool Castellan, yeah, based on that artwork. Um, so I have put these models together as well. In sub-assemblies, I think there's a post on the website with pictures because you can see, I mean, the models are really, really cool. Um, and I was actually surprised that um, uh, Helbert actually had a, has a, um, you can build his base in a slightly different way. So if you, if you don't want the orc on there, I mean, I don't know who doesn't want a dead orc on a Black Templar's <laughs> base. If you didn't, you can just, you can remove the orc and there's an extra bit you can put on, on there. to So he's like stabbing his sword into some rock, like um, Sword in the Stone sort of inspired. <laughs> All right. Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, no, no, I didn't. It was a surprise to me when I built it. And I mean, Helbert, the Helbert kit itself is really, really cool because you've got the different heads as well. Uh, the servitors, you build them separate and you glue them to the base afterwards. So it's going to be a really, really cool model to paint in the sub-assemblies. Um, and, and that's the plan for the rest of this week, actually, is to get some paint on the Helbert model and potentially the Castellan as well. Um, now, the Castellan is a really, really cool, iconic model. But I have to say, it wasn't one of my favourite ones that we saw released in the range. Um but having built it, it's a chunky model. I mean, it's just as big as a Primaris Marine. <clears throat> so you could use it as a Primaris Castellan. But actually, it's just, it's a really unique model. And I think actually, I am looking forward to painting this now and having it in a collection. Just because it's so different than all of the other sort of Marine kits you get nowadays. They've done a really, really cool job of that sort of retro feel to it. Well, I mean, it's pretty much identical to the artwork. So yeah, so that's been my week. And then it's been um, <clears throat> battling to uncover... The, uh, the goings-on in the Pancalis subsector. That's uh, occupied most of my uh, time this weekend. So, yeah, looking forward to, to listening to you guys talk about that event later on in the show. Um, how about yourself, Andy? What, what have you been up to in the hobby this week? Um, so, similar to Matt and Jay, um, I have been painting uh, stuff for the weekend. Uh, so, I took Grey Knights with me um, because I wanted an army that was a bit more of an all-round army that had a psychic phase did some stuff in the movement, did a bit of shooting and, and could get stuck into combat if I wanted it. And I basically painted up in the space of about a week and a half, about 12. I mean, it ends up being 12 models, but it's it's got a Nemesis Dreadnought, Squad of Terminators, Paladins, an Apothecary, an Ancient and a, a Librarian that I converted out of the um, Grand Master Voldus, I think the model was. Yeah, it was, um, yeah. So I managed to get all that built i got all the base coats and washes done on all the models but i haven't done i've done a few highlights like i've dry brushed the sword and that sort of stuff but i haven't really finished them off um but i managed to get the bases magnetized all the bases done um and and that sort of stuff um and so that's that's basically been my week but just trying to get all that done and i think it was um 11 o'clock the, the Friday night before the event when I was magnetizing my bases. So it, it's been a while since I've been, since I've had to do that. But yeah, it brought back a lot of memories of um, painting until one o'clock in the morning for an event that same day. You know, it's, it's, it, it was been, it, it was great fun to do. But I, yeah, I think next, next time um, I, I'd like to have 
the the force painted long before I, I, I go. But yeah, I, again, we'll we'll talk about that when um, when we get onto our experiences of about the the weekend and stuff. So, but yeah, it's, it's just been painting some grey nights. Um, although going into next week, I'm I'm excited just to be able to sort of paint a random model for a random unit, yeah. not being a model for an event. So yeah, that, that's me. Excellent. Um, I, I, you've actually just reminded me. I remember, um, this is quite a few years ago now. I remember staying up till like one, two o'clock in the morning, uh, putting texture paint on some ultramarines, and it was for actually a trip that us guys went down to Warhammer World, um, mm. to to play. And I, I, I remember like I'm like falling asleep as I'm applying this, like <laughs> rushing this texture paint onto the base. Um, yeah, never doing that again. Never ever. Um, for me this week, um, I've not really done any painting, unfortunately. Um, I tidied up some of my um, Death Watch characters. Um, what I have been doing, though, is I finished building my Death Watch infiltrators because um, I've got a bit of a list um, that I want to start a, a crusade with. Um, so I need to get some infiltrators painted. I've also been building the terrain from Kilting Chalneth um, because I really want to get some paint on some scenery for a Necromunda board. Um especially as it's, it was one of my hobby resolutions and I'm, I'm, I'm very quickly running out of the year. Um, and on the subject of Necromunda, because um, me and Matt might be playing some leading up to uh, sort of Christmas time, I've actually dug out my Goliaths um, and I want to get them um, finished. I actually didn't realise how much I'd, I'd painted on them, um, but I need to get all their like armour and cloth and stuff done. Um, I did really have my eye on getting the Orlocks, but I haven't yet picked up the um uh what they call like the specialist so you... map. <clears throat> yeah. yeah so um i thought at least i've got like all my life so um i should really get those um painted and then i can i can use a fully painted gang um because i'm really looking forward to playing some necromunda with you matt yeah i'm i'm really looking forward to it i uh i'm, I'm i mean i've got a, a few gangs i'm torn on what to bring i've got some ideas brewing now excellent excellent stuff um, and yeah, that's that's really been it for for me for for the hobby this week. Um, I have actually started reading a Death Watch novel, which has uh, also inspired me to get those on a on a crusade. Um, it's like a, a a collection of shorter kind of stories, like an anthology. Um, it's, it's very good, very very good. Uh, that wraps up this uh, intro to this week's podcast. We've got quite a lot to get through, so we'll be right back with the news. As much as I enjoyed um, reading out all the news last week, I am very happy to say the words, what's in this week's news, Matt, uh, once well, again. <laughs> well, well, we've got a quieter one this week. I think I must have got away with the, uh, <laughs> missing the super busy pre-order week that we had last week. Uh, this week, a bit of a quieter one. I think we've got a little bit of a breather before it all goes mental on the run up to Christmas, I think. Uh, but So this year, Dim's Workshop uh, revealed Holger Clovenhorn and a Inspiring champion of the Oathsworn tribes for the Slaves of Darkness. And she was going to be the um, event-only model for 2021. Unfortunately, there's not been many events during 2021, so they've made the decision to instead release this uh, worldwide. There's no pre-order window. You order it on Saturday. It comes, you know, two to three days later, in theory. Mm. Um, it looks really, really nice. I'll be picking this one up to add to my Chaos Army. I'm really glad that they've released it globally as well, because... Um, there was very few events so i think at the minute not many people have got their hands on this model no um yeah it looks really really cool 
We've also got some made-to-orders for the Middle Earth strategy battle game. So this is a week-long pre-order window. Now, in the past for the Middle Earth ones, they have produced a quantity of them. So if you order early, you might get one sent that week. Otherwise, they'll make made-to-order, and sometimes that can take a little while. But it's a nice way of getting some old models, you know, including old metal models. Mm. So we've got the Kurdash, the Firecaller. This is the Orc uh, Shaman flinging a fireball. He's really cool. He's not been available in the range for quite a while. The Twilight Ring Wraiths, who came out 20 years ago when the Middle Earth strategy battle game first appeared. I think I'm going to have to pick these up because I never got them. And it is a bit of a nostalgic one. I think they came out alongside that uh, Fellowship of the Ring box. They did, yeah. So, yeah, this is one to add to the collection. Uh, Thranduil, the Elven King on foot, is available, along with some Mirkwood Elf Captains, which might be useful for people doing the um, Elf uh, Legendary factions out of the recent supplements. We've also got the White Council, which, again, you can use to represent that. Now, um, obviously, we've got a newer Gandalf, we've got a newer Saruman, but this is a nice way of having... I mean about 800 points is at the white council in the uh, supplement andy so this is a nice uh army in a blister if you pick this one up yeah yeah it's not far off 800 points i think so yeah so so like i say these are only available for a week and this is a far cheaper way to get them than paying extortionate rates on ebay because these are all like oop models so mm. i quite like that they do cycle through these old middle earth ones and, and give you this window to order them it means that they don't have to keep it all in stock the whole time because that takes warehouse space, but it does mean that you've got the opportunity to get them. So that's cool. We've also got a load of Necromunda stuff coming out. And again, this will all be going on my Christmas list. We've got the Vansar Arachna rig, which is the cool servo multi-armed rig thing for the Vansar. It Love looks this. amazing. I need one in my life right now alongside that we've got the vansar champion with cyberachnids cyberachnids are really cool um he is uh holding a las cannon i think i mentioned in our review if you want to you can have your gang leader with a las cannon you can have your champions with a las cannon you can have a like a, a four man thousand credit warband if you really want and this is a way of doing that having your tooled out uh, vansar champion if you are being a bit more sensible perhaps they also have a pair of alternate sculpt champions in mesh and a flak armor with um, las weapons and a servo glove. You could use them as an org mech or an archaeotech, perhaps. So, yeah, a lot of love for Vansar. I've been looking forward to this way for a long time. I need that uh, champion with las cannon for reasons and <laughs> the uh, Arachnarig because it looks ace. Looking forward to uh, shooting Dave's Orlocks in the face with a las cannon uh-huh. and seeing if they get up again. Probably not. Probably not. Probably not. Um, if you prefer your warfare in the, uh, the, the the kind of Horus Heresy era, Games Workshop showed off a new Terminator Praetor for the Sons oh. of Horus, and he looks phenomenal. I'm now, they mentioned the in the Horus article. You started the Sons of Horus? Yeah, yeah. No, if, if, this, this model is like just outstanding. And they suggested what you could do is use him to represent another member of the Mournival. Because they can't, I guess, for the nature of the game, they can't put out stat lines for everyone. But obviously we've got, you know, Should do. three other members of the Mournival in addition to Abaddon. And, uh, yeah, you could easily use him to represent one of those. He's got a big mace. He's got a big kind of back banner because it's all about back banners. And arguably, 
you know what? I think this model is even nicer than the the, the current 30k Abaddon model. He yeah. probably needs a new sculpt because that came out a long time ago. Yeah, I wonder whether you could um, uh, a helmet swap here to put put the abandoned head in here, and maybe an arm swap for the talon and things like that. Yeah, but yeah, you're definitely right. This these later models that they've been releasing. I mean, it really started, didn't it, with the um, the uh, word bearers um, Praetor models we saw during that Warhammer reveal. Um, was it last year? Yeah, where... I got a feeling that was probably leading up to the reveal of the new edition, and obviously that's disappeared into the ether a little bit. Because the, these sculpts are, are, I'd say, I mean, the Dark Angels were really the last Legion that, were, that, that, that was released with kits. But I, I think these Praetors that they've been releasing since those Wordbearer ones are, are even better than the, the Dark Angels sculpts. Yeah, I mean, they're outstanding. So I, I, I mean, I've got Sons of Horus Army. I'll be picking this guy up. I've got far too many characters than I can ever use, but he looks stunning and looks like it's going to be really fun to paint. Now, if you prefer your Heresy Warfare on a smaller scale, um. There's some surprise releases on the way for Adeptus Titanicus. Mentioned in our recent review of the uh, Titanicus supplement. Again, apologies, couldn't cover it last week on the podcast because I'm not here. It's all on the website. Check it out. Uh, and it, part of that, I mentioned that, um, you know, what's what's left for them to release for Titanicus? They've got the, the, the Loyalist book. They've got the Traitor book. What could we see? And somebody put in the comments, actually, one of the things that we could see is a full codex style book like that dedicated to knight households with expanded rules for knights now with expanded rules for knights you would need some more knight models and uh, in a bit of a surprise to everybody i think we have got titanica scale armager knights and knight moriacs which are going to be itty bitty because i mean uh, jay andy i think you've seen the size of a uh, for a knight in titanicus and they're approximately the size of a terminator these guys are going to be itty bitty compared to them <laughs> they're going to be like a grot aren't they pretty much yeah so um yeah this I, is an interesting development because like the these armages they are like the equivalent size of maybe a primaris dreadnought so you know you now it. get the sort of impression of what sort of scale if they did to go epic with like space marine forces would would be well this i believe they're on 25 mil bases and this a lot of the community is like well hang on a second this is arguably not like titanic scale anymore this is more 40k scale models put in yeah. titanicus mm. Well, I mean, you've got as well um, some of the um, gun emplacements and, and anti-air um, emplacements for Aeronautica are a similar scale to 40k. It's the same. So, so, so all the Aeronautica models are the same scale as Titanicus, which has always been a, a question mark. Would they ever merge the two of them? And hopefully that's a yes. So, yeah, obviously the rules for these come in the, in the blister when you get them. But it wouldn't surprise me if we do maybe at a future date see a night household book. Maybe. Yeah. Um, I, I think people would go for that. Um, and yeah, yeah, it does mean that uh, there's, there's been rumours of Adeptus demise, and I think they've been uh, maybe exaggerated, made up, whichever way you want to call it. I think the future's bright for Adeptus Titanicus. And then finally, while we were at um, Warhammer World at the weekend, there's a bit of an um, exhibition on celebrating 20 years of the Fellowship of the Ring, which every time I say it makes me feel incredibly old. Um, <laughs> but as part of that, they, they basically had for, from the original miniatures through to the latest miniatures and one thing that they had in the cabinet was the new uh, Amon Hen scenery set uh, it's got a release date of pre-order the 6th of December I believe it is it's not far off so uh, I know a lot of people have been looking forward to that one don't know how much it is realistically I'd probably guess 130 140 pounds mm. that is just a, a, a wild guess but it is a Forge World resin kit so 
ain't going to be on the cheaper end, I don't think. No, absolutely not. Excellent. Some uh, some cool. Yeah, that you did have the the shorter new segment this week, uh, Matt, compared to the the raft of stuff we had last week. But some really cool stuff in there. Um, yeah, sounds really good. Uh, we've got quite an exciting segment next as we're going to be chatting to Chris about Elder Scrolls. So we'll be right back. So on this week's show, we've got a special guest, Chris from Medifius Entertainment. How are you doing, Chris? I'm very good. Thank you so much. So you guys have been doing a lot of uh, role-playing games, board games, miniatures games, including some exciting Elder Scrolls stuff. But there's something super exciting that you guys have just launched on GameFound, isn't there? Yeah, that's right. It's called The Elder Scrolls V Skyrim The Adventure Board Game. Tying in very nicely with the anniversary of the game. That's some, that's some genius timing right there. <laughs> yeah, it was quite handy. You know, it's very nice of them to organise it around us. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously such a huge game. Uh, it was a bit of a no brainer to um, to take advantage of that. And we've obviously got loads of great coverage out of it. Um, I mean, ideally, we would have launched before, but we just took our time preparing for the project rather than launching too soon because we wanted to have everything designed um as much of the graphics done as possible all the tooling underway these these projects can get so delayed and we've had delayed projects before um so we wanted to kind of just do as much as we can beforehand so that you know we we can deliver the game you know within a year from uh, from when it launched and hopefully sooner very exciting now you guys currently do the elder scrolls quarter arms miniatures game that launched during lockdown which i guess it was did. a uh, interesting time to launch something it actually launched officially during in march of you know when covid broke out everywhere so <laughs> the best, the worst time to launch a miniatures game that really needs people demoing it in shops and then all the shops were shut but um, you know, given the power of Skyrim, it's it's fought its way through the chaos and uh, is now one of our biggest lines that we sell. And and as you can see, there's a ton of releases for it, uh, loads of cool models, and um, you know, lo- loads of expansions coming out for it. Yeah, we've fallen in deep to it over uh, <laughs> over the <laughs> lockdown with some gorgeous images and the, the the genius of having solo play. Now this is something yeah. that kind of moves into the uh, Skyrim adventure game as well where I believe you can play it solo can't you you can I mean I'm a big I've been a big solo player since I was a kid because I we moved away from my hometown where I knew some gamers and um so I just I had to make up my own solo rules for games and get really good at it if I wanted to enjoy it and and so I've always um wanted to have really good solo war games and co-op war games and I, I really think you know, it's the classic joke, isn't it? It's um, John, one of our teams, always said, you know, war games are like, um, you know, two people go and play a game, but only one walks away happy. <laughs> <laughs> and I just think playing a war game together, you can just do so much more. There's so many great opportunities for storytelling. And I just, I don't mean just like, well, the reason we're having this battle is because, you know, you've got something I need and it's behind those castle walls and I'm coming to get it. But it's like... You know, that this whole idea that wouldn't it be more fun to want to lose the battle because you'd get to further your story, that the story was more important than how many victory points you got for killing enemy soldiers, which is fun. 
I mean, we all want to be able to take out that unit of archers or ride down with the cavalry, the, um, the you know, the other guys, pikemen or whatever. That's all great fun. But I love the idea. And there's loads of companies that do that really well. I don't want to do that. I want to do different things and tell really, mm. really fun stories through our games. So you feel um, it doesn't just feel immersive. You are immersed and like you are hanging on everything that happens. And you're like, you want to see what happens to your commander your captain your general whatever it is and and through the next game so uh, as a result no surprise that the skyrim board game was also designed to be solo from the ground up so it's really fun it's hard but it's really fun and and of course it's a solo uh, a solo and co-op board game so you all work together in the game as well as um there are there are some kind of adversarial moments where you might take the sides of the Stormcloaks or the imperials in on a kind of faction level you still have to work to defeat the big the big bad but you are kind of supporting various sides just like in the video game amazing that sounds really exciting have um bethesda been heavily involved with the the background in the story obviously i guess they have a lot of impact into the the look of the game but from the story side of things are they involved quite heavily well the secret with working with really big licenses is to um license source is to know their world inside out and don't propose something that they're not going to like you know mm. you don't go i've got this really good idea for fallout to put these you know <laughs> these guys in like you know tight jumpsuits that come on this ship called the enterprise you know like don't add stuff that just don't doesn't make sense you've got to know the world inside out and so we don't suggest stuff that doesn't fit in the world of elder scrolls or fallout or whatever um and and also we 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 look at the law. So we looked at the law of Skyrim and go, well, look, there's this game called The Blades. It's a, there's a story of these characters, and we then proposed this storyline about the end of The Blades, which is a prequel to Skyrim. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, they uh, they liked it, so they were like, okay, sure. And, and they have to approve everything. They see all the text that's on the cards, all the rules and everything. So everything's gone through their law check. But if you if you want to you know get it all approved you make sure that you have really thought about everything you're proposing you what you want their law people to go that's a cool idea i haven't thought about that yeah. and of course then they they approve it and that rarely we get a kind of like mm, you know what this might be a better idea for you but i mean generally they're very supportive and because we don't suggest stupid stuff you know yeah so, so i guess with that you guys are i guess huge fans of the older scroll series as well then oh, oh my god you have no idea <laughs> <laughs> designers uh javier juan and stefano the co-designers on the skyrim board game i don't i don't know how many hours i mean you know people who say oh i've played it through like five times ten times like these guys have lived and breathed it you know they were huge fans before we started designing the game and like have gone into so much depth in this game and i think if you if you look at the game on tabletop simulator or you look at what we're doing and some of the interviews they've done you'll see that they are just so passionate about it i think that's really reflective i mean like when i look at um sort of images and the the, the you know the contents of the board game it just oozes skyrim doesn't it like it, yeah. it, it looks really sort of professional and you can just tell the amount of love that's got into it and like the the different kind of sub modes in the board game as well yes i mean there's um it's very nostalgic. I mean, we some people like and don't like the fact that we're using in-game imagery. And um, if you're looking at the tabletop simulator, we've got much better in-game images coming. 
we weren't able to create new art for the game, but the uh, the, the high res in- imagery that we've been able to pull out of the game looks great. It mm. looks like Skyrim. Um, you know, we, we, there's always this joke about how many times have people gone back to play Skyrim and it's a 10 year old game and it and it looks the same. And, uh, and it, you know, it's just this amazing world that you go back to. And I think when you see the stuff, you go, yeah, that's a suit of ebony armor. That's an ebony, ebony greatsword. That's a, a draugr. You know, it looks like it. And um, and, uh, and not a lot of cards don't use art because, you know, the quest cards, for example, have a lot of text on them. And we needed to keep them really clear and simple to follow. Uh, and uh, and that you know the, the design is clean and you know looks like Skyrim assets. It follows the Skyrim style guide uh, to a T. You know which is very minimalist in places and um, you know iconic graphics and things. So the the design team have done a really good job to you know to follow that look and feel for Skyrim. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, exciting. I mean, I had a look at the. Um sort of your, your your game found page earlier on i can't i can't believe how quickly you achieved your goal did did you expect it to to do so well uh when you launched it yeah i mean it's, it's skyrim right so yeah, well. <laughs> and, you know there was a lot of people waiting on it coming um you know there was some people like oh why isn't it bigger because um you know all these other projects are much bigger you should be doing all these languages now uh, you know a lot of the other big kickstarter projects that you know they've got like four or five languages we're actually currently negotiating with 12 languages that all want to produce the game at the same time, that all want to do the translation at the same time. It's insane. <laughs> if we tried to include them all in this project, this would have been another two years away making it. And and it would have risked delaying delivering the project probably for a couple of years. It's mm. just yeah, crazy, crazy times. So we wanted, you know, we just like, let's stick with English. Let's make sure we deliver this. And those, you know, all those companies will do their pre-orders together. Uh, we don't need to include it in at the same time. We really wanted to make sure this wasn't delayed at all. Um, and that people knew that it could get the game next year. We're also doing a massive uh, uh, global distribution deal at the same time. Uh, so, uh, that, you know, the game will be coming out, you know, two or three months after backers get it. Obviously, at increased prices and so on um so um you know there's there's so much going on behind the scenes and and it's and it's been amazing what we've unlocked but we're also being careful like it's so easy to get carried away and go oh let's you know there's another box and it's got another 27 massive miniatures in it and then there's another one and uh and you can go crazy and before you know it you you're never going to deliver that game for another two years and so we're being quite careful to only unlock things that are like you know, we had this up our sleeve. This is a really easy addition. This is a like we're we're unlocking an add-on at 800 grand that is a five to eight player expansion. We figured out this uh, free roaming mode so people can just literally keep playing the game for hours and hours and hours. And now they can play it with five to eight players, which is another set of components, which is very straightforward. We've got these legendary exclusives for game found backers. So if you back the game, as long as you've got the base game in it, you're getting this game fan exclusive expansion, which is about 45 cars. We've unlocked about, um, I think about uh, 10, 15 so far. And they're things like massive boss level style um, enemies in the dungeons uh, that are triggered. They get put into the dungeon once you 
get us this um legendary skill level and you you can get up to eight skills as a character through leveling up and then at some point you can start turning those over to their legendary sides and as soon as you do that you trigger these boss level monsters um uh things like a, a um Dwemer, you know, a Centurion Army, a uh, ancient Frost as- Astronach, a mm-hmm. a um, Arch uh, Necromancer, and things. Really, really tough uh, ones. And once you defeat them, you get access to some really amazing, amazing treasures. Um, so yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. There's there's all sorts of stuff we're doing with those those unlocks to kind of give some added value for people who back the project. You know, there's also the uh, From the Ashes expansion, which adds a lot of kind of um, cool overlays, these extra little mini campaigns for bandits and Draugr and the Dark Brotherhood and these ghosts that are going to chase you around the map and a massive dragon as well, which we're aim- aiming hopefully to unlock the the big plastic dragon, because I don't think Skyrim would be Skyrim without a giant dragon somewhere. <laughs> I, know, I, know, I know you're a personal fan of uh, big, massive dragons, Matt. I am, I am a big fan of it. I've got my eye on the uh, the, the resin one that you do too for uh, Call to Arms. So, yeah, very interested in big dragons. <laughs> Great. We do have dragon rules coming for Call to Arms, which uh, they're just Ooh. with uh, Bethesda for approval. Um, but hopefully that will come through soon. Excellent. So can you tell us a little bit about the mechanics of the game, how it works, how a, a, a general playthrough would go? Yeah, so... Um, it's it's very driven by cards. Um, we have an enormous numbered card deck. It's about 900 cards in the base game. There are two campaigns. Each campaign has got three chapters. And think about it like climbing up the side of a pyramid. And there's like four sides to the pyramid. And you can climb up any way on that pyramid. You can go up to the left, go to the right, go up to the center, but then go left a bit and go right a bit. There's so many ways to get to the top of the pyramid. And we're all going to meet at the top for this big finale. But we've all got the the pyramid is this one story. We're all in this one big plot, but we're seeing our side of the plot, uh, our perspective and uh, enjoying our different stories. And so every playthrough can be different as you build up to the big finale. And then and that's just one chapter. And then you have another chapter and another chapter. Um, We've had a playthrough of chapter one in an hour. We've had a playthrough that's lasted two and a half hours and I could have kept going at least another hour. In fact, I'm doing a series of streams where you see, show people just how long you can keep the first chapter going, enjoying dungeon crawls and things. Now, the game is kind of somewhat like a resettable legacy game. And um, what that means is you've got a kind of a vanilla set of cards. It's like a basic set of dungeon cards and encounters and events. And as you play through uh, your quest cards, each quest card has a couple of choices there's usually a challenge you've got to go say to solitude and do this challenge and then you turn over the card and if you were successful you get this reward if you failed and it's your main quest maybe something bad will happen maybe a a blade somewhere else in skyrim will die as a result of your failure and so that card is destroyed well not really you put it into the box forever it's never coming back for the whole six-part campaign you play and but you still keep going with the story we believe in failing forward there is at no point you go that's it put everything back in the box it's over you might as well start again next Mm. week or another day you just keep going and you can fail the chapter you can fail a fail a quest if you fail a a quest you just keep going you the story gets a bit harder and you go on and make your next choice two more choices which branches the story again and then you get another quest two more choices 
story branches again as you can imagine there's all mm. kinds of ways of playing through this and there's four starting stories so um you might have had kidnapped i had um captured okay i'll start the next one with prisoner um and that's a whole nother set of stories you know like i mentioned about the other sides of the pyramid let alone that we've got six different player uh, characters in the base game we've got things like the nord and the altmer and the imperial and the awesomer and the dumber and the khajiit and then in dawn guard you've also got uh, an argonian a bosma a red guard and a breton so loads of um, different play styles to experiment with and as we play through that huge number deck is going to start feeding numbered cards into the event deck and into the equipment cards and into the encounter deck and into the town and wilderness cards where you meet all sorts of interesting characters that will give you side quests or personal quests and so the decks are going to grow with this flavor that is driven by those your choices so the whole playthrough is going to customize the game in a certain way based on your own choice or the, you and your players now uh, and when you can get to the end of the six part campaign, you can go on and play Dawn Guard, another three chapters with vampirism and vampires and Dawn Guard and Castle Volcahar. Well, you can start again, just reset and go, you know, what, I'm going to be a, a Khajiit this time. I want to play the I want to start with the prisoner card. I'm going to make some different choices. And uh, also all the events that are coming out that are going to lead to um numbered cards and quests when you go to a town or a wilderness space you can meet an interesting character they'll give you components you can do a challenge you'll get some kind of rewards and then you can listen to their story and accept their personal quest in which case they go away for good mm -hmm. you won't see them again or you leave them in the you kind of take their do their challenge take their rewards and put them back in the discard pile to, to go back into the event deck so the game is very is evolving all the time there's um every a quest card you sorry every event card you draw um there's one drawn at the beginning of every turn by the first player introduces a thing called threat you you have to assign that threat somewhere you can put it onto your quest cards they can each take a certain amount of threat before they fail now failing a main quest card is bad is going to end this chapter you won't see any more of the story and you'll move on to the next chapter a bit worse for wear um as i said the story keeps going mm. or if it's a personal quest it you just fail that quest and there might you won't get some of the rewards alternatively you can put that threat on the towns the towns can hold threat but there is a consequence there's always a consequence of your choices if you put threat onto the towns they're going to start burning they're going to be rioting um the first one usually closes the market because there's trouble in the town the second one uh that the town's locked down tight you've got to bribe the guards to let you in and the third one the whole place is rioting it's a chaos it's now generating threat and you've got to decide where to put that so very quickly the the, the game can spiral out of control and there's like towns burning and rioting and <laughs> there's like um you know uh, all sorts of things going wrong so it's it's great fun in that the, the world will change around you and you never lose you never have to stop playing it just gets more mad it's a bit like you know when um, in a in a role-playing game where you get captured that's not yeah. uh, the game is not over now you get to you get the cool experience of escaping 
from the enemy base, right? So in this, think about it as like all kinds of cool stuff happens to you and the game is never over. It never fails. Like you can't die in the game. Well, let me say that. You can die. You don't lose all your stuff. You don't go, oh no, but that really cool magic sword I just found, it's gone. No, you just respawn at the end of the turn. But guess what? You have to now draw one threat for every player and a um, an immediate event card, which usually gives you more threat and more interesting things happen. So <laughs> if you're trying to risk a fight with a monster and you're close to death, all the other players are like, don't do it. They're, oh, no, he did it. Like, <laughs> so, um, so that's lots of fun as well. Actually, it, sounds, it does sound like... Uh distilling the idea of a video game into a board game which is something you guys managed to do with with call to arms with the different skills and classes and all that kind of stuff it felt like the elder scrolls even though it's a essentially traditional miniatures game yeah that's right yeah i mean it's i mean we obviously didn't want to make a dungeon crawl because we've already got a miniatures mm. in the form of uh, call to arms um but we yeah we've got a whole bunch of miniatures which are these wandering monsters that are going to be moving around the board and and um you know, damaging the holes, causing them to riot, attacking them. You've got to deal with them and you get rewards for it. But we've also introduced, we unlocked a very, very simple skirmish game for the miniatures upgrade set. So people who are board gamers who are like, well, what can I do with these miniatures? Here you go. Here's another free game to do some dungeon crawls with. Uh, And for call to arms players, it's like, well, not only here is a stripped back version of the rules to maybe get your friends interested, you've got another set of dice You've got a whole pack of new heroes and enemy cards that are fully 100% compatible with Call to Arms and a bunch of plastic miniatures to flesh out your forces that are obviously much cheaper than resin. So um, yeah. trying to, we're trying to make it for everyone. And, and we were very adamant from the beginning that the miniatures had to be the same scale for this game as Call to Arms. So, you know, people have got a reason to buy both games, which I think is great. That's great. Great bit of crossover. So the the, um, the the heroes then, you say they've got unique um, character cards for Call to Arms as well then? Uh, yes, that's right. Yes. Um, so every, all oh, there's 10 heroes in the game, they've all got their own character cards. Um, that's really cool. Sorry, I should say that. I think it's the, yes, uh, it's, well, there's, yeah, there's 10 heroes. Yes. Then we've also got multiple, as, as you may know, in the miniatures upgrade set has, a, has another set of 10 uh, alternate sculpts for the heroes but there's 10 actual hero cards so excellent so uh, at the moment i believe on the uh game found page you've got three tiers essentially the the, the base game by itself with the expansions then the deluxe all singing all dancing nice uh, neoprene mat coins miniatures all sorts super tier yep. which yep. does look very tasty and <laughs> um, what's the what's the expected or the hoped for launch window for this um so yeah we're aiming to ship in august and that's allowing for some delays with china shipping which is chaotic at the best at the moment Mm -hmm. um and then that will probably hit retail i'd say probably october november time excellent just in time for uh, next christmas yeah absolutely always a good time to release a board game is christmas and it will be the 11th anniversary of skyrim (laughs) (laughs) amazing Cool. So obviously we've got this this initial kind of wave as part of the uh, the crowdfunding. Do you have any plans going forward past this for for further expansions or more crossover, maybe miniatures and wandering monster wise with the the rest of the range? Yeah, we've got lots of ideas for expand. Like I said, we didn't want to go crazy and go and unlock another five box sets 
um, that would delay this game forever. Uh, so as a result, you, as you can imagine, there's probably all kinds of cool ideas bubbling around. Um, we, you know, we we know we're going to be selling into uh, retail. We know backers are going to have this. And as soon as they, you know, they get this in the hands, they're going to be like, we want another one. <laughs> Where can we go next? What else can you give us? So, yes, we're, we are thinking of lots of cool ideas that we can kind of work on next. And the tabletop simulator is going to be free for everyone to play. We've unlocked uh, the first three chapters, so people are going to be able to play that. I mean, you can play it right now, um, but um, hoping by Christmas we'll have at least the first complete, the first full chapter with all the content ready to go, and then we'll be adding more in straight after that. Excellent stuff. It, it's funny, actually. I'd, I'd, I'd never used Tabletop Simulator before, but kind of as, as bad as COVID's been, it's actually opened the door to it, hasn't it? I mean, yeah. uh, did you always intend to, to go on to Tabletop Simulator, or, I mean, or did COVID kind of play a part in that? Um, we'd used Tabletopia, uh, Tabletopia a bit for some demos uh, with another designer who, um, a friend of mine is in China. And um, uh, COVID really, because we just couldn't sit in the office and prototype stuff. And actually it made sense because there's with 900 cards, you don't want to print off another 900 cards and cut them out. Mm. So mm. actually that when they started moving to Tabletopia for prototyping and then covid hit it just made sense and we get so much more done all working remotely all, all playing games on tabletop simulator you don't you know you can leave the game up and you know i mean could we leave it in the office but you can have multiple games playing and um and it just makes it easier trying quick new rules changes and card changes uh, it, it is pretty cool. I mean, nothing beats the actual physical thing. And <clears throat> I know uh, we'll probably be uh, giving this a go in the future all around a table um, as it should be played. Um, but yeah, it, the, the the contents of the box, the box looks absolutely fantastic. And I've been meaning to play a bit of Call to Arms with, with yourself, Matt. Well, maybe we can do a session of Call to Arms together at some point. Yeah, yeah that'd be fantastic. Good. That'd be absolutely, absolutely ace. <laughs> obviously going into the, into the new year and things hopefully start getting more normal i'm guessing you guys are, are, are hoping to do some more events and the like if uh, the world starts returning to normal oh definitely we're planning a whole series of uh, co-op store events where you will go and experience a first event in the storyline before anyone else oh nice mm. and there'll be prizes for and basically everyone will walk away with a prize not the top three or the top one so it's going to be a lot of fun that sounds nice. Um, we will make sure that we've got plenty of links so you can check out um, both the, uh, the 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 actual adventure game and Call to Arms as well in the podcast notes and also over on spruceandbrews.com. Um, I believe um, Matt has done some previous content on on that as well, so we'll make sure that's all linked um, so you can you can check that out at your leisure. It's been absolutely fantastic having you on the show, Chris, but I can't let you go uh, without asking a question that we ask all of our guests that appear on the yeah. podcast and yeah. that is what is your favorite sprue and what is your favorite brew <laughs> favorite sprue and brew um actually it's um uh if we're talking beer it's probably hell's lager i really like they've got it in our nice. pub near the office um sprue god you know i mean if i don't talk about my own stuff the first sets of um of quarter of arms were pl hard plastics first hard plastics we did and and they're pretty good i think the, the the dragonborn can be a little bit fiddly to put together but considering it's the first ones we ever did the, the guys did an amazing job on it mm. and um yes yeah, so what what would i what would i do um 
you know, there's so many great plastics. <laughs> I just you don't even, know. even 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 resin kits. Then, what's your favourite resin kit from the uh, from your ranges? Oh, I don't. Well, it's actually the dungeon, the the Draugr dungeon. I really. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> and, and I managed to get a bag full of kind of um, castoffs from the from the warehouse from the factory. That uh, you know, just like a few dents here and there that you couldn't send out to customers. But I'm fine. I'm just going to spray them up and use them. Um, so I, I love that and, and uh, I don't know actually you know what the thing that first came to my mind was Spruce was I remember and this is just a special moment for me uh, Rita my wife is not into games uh, but I managed to pick up a load of that you know the Lord of the Rings scenery set that mm. GW did and it's got those statues and this fallen statue and mm. some arches I don't know we got a whole pile of them and I was like look and I showed her how to do dry brushing and um you know i'm I, I don't really like painting figures i'm much more better at scenery or buy painted figures <laughs> like, <laughs> but we we really got into doing some dry brushing and then she she did this like nicely dry brush set and sold it and she like i made some money on ebay and she's like look how fun is that so that, mm-hmm. that was a great i think that's a great little set great little scenery set and it's really fun and i think we, we painted like half a dozen of those sets that we got off uh, off someone and um, sold them for a little bit of cash, which pay for a night out. So there you go. That's my um, my sprue. Excellent to, to purchase some Helsager, of course. Of course, of course. <laughs> Great choices. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, um, thank you so much, Chris, uh, for joining us. Like I say, we'll make sure there's there's lots of links to check out um, the Game Found page and things. Um, it's been superb having you on, uh, and we look forward to checking out the board game when it's when it launches. Brilliant. Thanks a lot. No problem at all. And we still have a little bit of the podcast left to go, so we'll be right back. So this weekend, there was a very special event at Warhammer World. Escape from Pancalis, a Warhammer 40,000 Crusade event that we've talked about on the show a couple of weeks ago. We were super excited to uh, to, to go to and we were managed to get some tickets for the event and have been frantically building some armies. I think it's safe to say we, we all expected kind of high things from it, but it, it, it really did, did blow us away uh, the weekend that we've just had. So it's the first crusade event that warhammer world have, have, have put on and crusade and path to glory something that we've been talking a lot about on the on the show on the website it's a very different way of playing games of warhammer compared to your traditional match play tournament style because there's a different mindset that goes into it it's a different style of playing your games it's more more about the story and kind of leveling up your characters and having a kind of fun experience rather than the kind of win it all cost mindset, make a filthy list and smash people's faces. So I suppose before we go into it, what Andy and Jay, what were your kind of like thoughts going into it? What did you expect from the event? Um, well, I mean, my expectations were completely flipped over when we arrived at, at, at Bugman's Brewery and the event staff were all dressed up as Imperial Medicaid staff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so i wasn't expecting that no, um, so, so straight away i was sort of um thinking oh yeah this is going to be really really cool yeah, yeah. For, for me i've i've been to a few campaign weekends um in, in the past for like age sigma and 40k and stuff and they've never quite gone into as much detail and attention to this as as they did i mean they always throw in a little twist or a little extra bit 
So I kind of expected that. But obviously, until you actually turn up to the event, you don't know what any of these twists are. And yeah, there was quite a, a fun and exciting twist to be had. There was indeed. So so when when, when you buy your tickets, you get a PDF that gives you, obviously, the, the rules for constructing your army. You've got 50 power. It is, it is Crusade. So you could use an existing Crusade army that's already got, you know, experience and battle scars and the like or you could make a new crusade army for the event which we we all did didn't we? we decided to make a new one and grow the story from that um there was a few rule stipulations in there so over the course of the weekend you couldn't increase your um what do they call it the power level it's of the, the army supply, yeah, yeah, supply yeah, limit yeah you can increase your supply limit you can add extra units you couldn't change loadouts all the kind of stuff that you'd normally be able to do on a crusade, just to make sure it's fair and fun for all the players so that everybody's playing the 50 power games. Other than that, you've pretty much got free reign to do to do what you want. It, it wasn't kind of as, as as strict as maybe some. Yeah, exactly. Um, which which hopefully, and I think on on the whole, from what we saw, it encouraged people just to take lists for fun rather than just copy and pasting the kind of net list that's uh, flavor of the month. It yeah. was great to see, yeah, lots of variation in the different lists, and and it was a much more relaxed sort of atmosphere to the whole two days of gaming. Um, and I think actually Crusade sort of does that anyway because unlike in match play where you need to tune your list and tune your each turn to maximise the sort of efficiencies of all the units and things like that to, to capitalise on your secondaries and your victory points in the Crusade games, and especially at this event, which we'll talk about later. You often have <clears throat> lots of different objectives for a game, not necessarily winning. Sometimes, you, well, you're trying to win, but there's other things to be achieving during the game as well. You've got your personal agendas. You've got all the cool little missions and, and things that the events team threw in over the course of the weekend, which we'll talk about. So it's not so important to take that awesome, like you say, win at all costs list. And, and you can just sort of have a bit more fun in the games, I think. Yeah, yeah. They, they even had the... Um... Because they used the Best Coast Pairings app, didn't they? But you, you didn't necessarily have to submit an army list for it. You had to prepare your order of battle and your crusade cards and stuff ahead of time. But you didn't have to hand in um, an army list at the beginning of the event, that sort of thing. Yeah, a, a much more trusting event. Because really, it's all on... I mean, I had one of the crusade books and it's all really about managing your different units and the experience and stuff rather than, yeah, the ins and outs of your army list, which I think makes for a more fun event. Yeah, and, and the, the team, <clears throat> the event, did because like you say, in Crusade, over the course of these games, units are getting experience, they're getting battle scars, their stats are changing, they're getting extra abilities. So it's difficult in a match play environment, that, that would just be impossible to manage. But here it's encouraged and, and the events team, as we'll talk about shortly, you know, there were lots of different ways to upgrade units and grant stat buffs and even almost play like, I can't think of a similar mechanic, but you could play cards during your game to give units buffs and things like this as well. Um, yeah. So all, all sort of, like you say, there's a lot of trust in the opponents in, to, to make sure that you, you're both going to have that great game. And, and overall, I have to say, every single one of my games I had was brilliant. I mean, it, they were just so good, so chaotic and so fun. So there was not a problem with people taking super powerful units and super upgraded units at all. Yeah, exactly. So obviously in the in the, in the pack, it said that we would get a uh, Escape from Pancalis Crusade uh, supplement, a battle pack. 
And uh, th- this, we were quite excited for this. Oh, cool! It's going to be like a PDF or a printout with some bespoke missions. Oh, we did not expect what we would be getting here. I was blown so, away by the quality of this pack. So, so we get that you're presented with. Uh, the, 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 you, you used to get a lanyard to, you know, show that you're a member of an event. One of the things that they've added is now on the back of that, you've got the timings of all the games, the timings for lunch, the timings for award ceremony. So, any point during the day, you can glance down at your uh, lanyard and see you know what the plan is which is an amazing change you, we then got presented with an escape from pancalis uh crusade supplement in a ring binder all fully printed and looking amazing they they they, they blew the uh it must have been quite a budget on printed materials in this because this is like thick card that you'd expect from like supplements you'd purchase exactly uh, yeah all, so, all so, so, carry on matt sorry no go on no go on you go I was going to say, yeah, all, all of your missions, <clears throat> all of the extras that you sort of unlocked and earned during the course of the weekend, you added to this binder as you went. So it became quite a substantial, um, you know, uh, s- set of resources towards the end of the weekend. And, and and the great thing about it is it's all reusable. You know, we can we can make use of this as, in our own Crusade games at home. Um, and so I was really, really impressed with the quality of that. And then when you add in on top of that all of the different decks of cards that we were handed over the course of the weekend. Um, yeah, yeah right. there was quite a budget, I think, on the on the materials. Yeah, so yeah. Quickly, we could go over kind of what we got there, just in case people didn't attend. So in the binder, it started off with a bit of lore about Pancallus and what was happening. Uh, again, then with a full rundown of all the timings for the event. And then there was a full Crusade mission pack. So it not only had the rules of how to play a Crusade game, then select agendas, then determine the, the attacker and the defender. It also went through, and this is something that's missing from the GW um, supplements, the post-battle sequence as well. Yeah. going through a crusade how you um you know update your your battle experience your uh, battle honors or out of action all that kind of stuff because currently even in the official supplements that's all in the core rule book so having all this within this kind of like file of fact style jobby that we got was amazing because you didn't really need to rely too much obviously you had the injury charts and stuff that you had to refer to but it, there's a lot less bookkeeping than we thought there might be yeah, for for me, that was one of my big concerns going into this event was just how much bookkeeping there is in Crusade, and like it, it's perfectly fine when you're at home and you know you can just sort of jot down and you know you, you can take your time, can't you? But when you're at an event, obviously there's a, a clock that you have to go to. But yeah, they gave us um, 15 minutes at the end of the game to to do everything, and like I said, with the um, with the card, the, the folder, the binder that they gave us, like you said, they gave us like a step-by-step guide of what to do. You know, it it, it started off, you know, determining who's the attack and defender, all that sort of stuff to all the post-game stuff with all the crusade and leveling up and all this stuff, sort of stuff. I think for me personally, that just, it, it simplified that process so much for me that it made the after sequence part of the game fun and enjoyable and it didn't feel like because i was a bit concerned that that might damp over weekend and might ruin yeah. it a little bit at times but because of that one little thing that they did for me that that just made the event so relaxing and so enjoyable to do 
I remember we were we were sat in Bugman's chatting about this exact thing, opened up the pack and then like gave each other a knowing nod and we're like, okay, yeah, this is this is really good. Um uh, they've also they also had some unique escape from Pancalis only stratagems in here as well. Now I forgot about these during the event. I didn't actually use any, but they've actually written some some specific stratagems that could only be used in the Escape from Pancalis campaign, which was a, a nice little addition. Yeah, and then, four or five Yeah, I did use yeah. a few of those actually in the game, yeah. Got them here in front of me. <laughs> So yeah, and then and then you had in the in the book then you had mission one, escape from Pancalis, the discovery, uh, a full it's the same as you'd find in the Crusade supplements, a full card with the mission rules, the 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 victory points, uh, the the full map on heavy card stock. Like I say, you <laughs> I'd, I'd happily buy this Pancalis supplement as you know something that you can use as a resource for playing games. Yeah, the fact that-, that it was essentially a freebie as part of an event obviously you know the money that you pay towards the event goes into stuff like this but he just gave it that extra touch of something special yeah yeah and, and i mean i'm looking for like say in future if they do future crusade events and they use the same format for the materials you can just keep adding these missions and and intel cards and things to your, to your binders and you'll have quite a collection of sort of resources you can use in your own games really cool. yeah we only had one mission in there at the beginning didn't we so the idea was is that as you completed missions and learned more about what was going on, you added stuff to this folder. That's right. So, so to start, you had the kind of they had the rules. You had the the, the single mission, and then they had some uh, some crusade sheets in the back that you can use in your own games and photocopy and use to record the kind of the the missions. Realistically, I think most people would have brought their own ones to do that side of it. But it's nice that they're included in the pack. And then before each following mission you would get the next mission in the pack to not spoil a story and you know so everyone's getting them at the same time in addition to that over the course of the weekend like jay said your guys were doing research and investigating and finding information to get a currency which was in little gemstones that you got from the events team you could then spend that currency to unlock law about the event so i think me i think i don't know if you did as well andy but i know me and jay we managed to unlock all the various kind of law cards and again heavy card stock gorgeous artwork on the back they kind of chronicled the the kind of continuing law of the event so far and then you had a reward so it could be uh, for example extra requisition points or a, um, a a battle scar can be removed stuff like that that kind of works with the um, the narrative of the story yeah. so far i thought that was, was a some... really really cool touch it was yeah but but there was even more interesting rewards like that so so there was some like event specific relics that we we could we could um find and equip on characters during the course of the event and some of these rewards sort of improved those relics you got extra quantities of certain vials of ooze and things like this um so they weren't there was a lot of thought i think had gone into the the rewards um over the event and, and they were themed quite well with the event as well yeah, I think um, Steve was mentioning that he'd worked directly with, um, is it Sam Pearson? Who uh, wrote no, it's Robin, Robin Cuddis on the 40k yes. team wrote the um, the legendary relic. So we'll talk about this when we get to the end of the event, because then we unlock those at the very end. But yeah, the, the, the 40k team were definitely involved with, you know, some input into this, which is really nice to see. We didn't just get the binder, though. No, we didn't. So, so. Again, we we knew that in the um, the campaign pack there were stratagems that you could use, and I remember we were saying, oh, okay, we we'll have to keep uh, kind of remember these. But we actually got given a deck of stratagem cards, uh, sorry, agenda cards for the specific agendas that you can do. 
Now, obviously, in, in, in kind of match play games of 40k, you pick secondaries and you're trying to get victory points with them. In Crusade, it's a little bit different, where your agenda is essentially ways of getting experience, upgrades, leveling up your guys, doing stuff that fits with the theme of the event. So they had a whole deck of these. Now, one of these was a unique one to this pack called Data Heist. Where in certain missions, there'd be computer terminals and your infantry squads had to basically hack into this terminal and get the data. And that was the main way you got this currency for unlocking the kind of law content of the event. I thought that was amazing. I don't know about you guys. I always took Data Heist just because I wanted to to get all this law and get the whole pack completed. Kind of a got to catch them all kind of style. Definitely. Yeah. And, I, and it really made the, the missions interesting because, like, obviously you've got your mission objective as given in the mission briefing, but then you've also got this personal objective. Well, you know, we've got to hold back the enemy forces or prevent them from finding the secret laboratory first or prevent them from escaping from the spaceport. But at the same time, I've got to send squads off to, to find and hack these data terminals and the enemy's trying to do the same thing as well. Uh, and then on top of that, you've got your secret missions, which, you know, we'll talk about in a bit. And then your other agendas, there's so much going on in the Crusade games. It just makes it so much more, I don't know, just chaotic and interesting compared to yeah. match play games where you're very focused on a specific set of objectives and a specific set of secondaries. And yeah, that's before I, we get to the even like, oh, go on, Andy. Yeah, I, I took the uh, the data heist in every single game. But in the, the, fir- the first two games, I did not have a lot of models left at the end <laughs> of turn one. So, um, yeah, getting the getting the investigation points in the first couple of games was quite difficult. But, yeah, to, towards the end, I, I found that instead of just going for the primary and trying to, you know, like win the scenario and stuff like that, you could just aim for currency. You know, you could just try and get the investigation points. And, Got and some that, cracking stories about that from our games, Andy, that I'll, I'll talk about later. But you're right, yeah. Yeah, it, it was... It was super cool to do it because for me personally, again, you know, Crusade, it's it's not necessarily about winning, but it's about telling the story of, you know, your your crusade, your army. And for me personally, doing that for was in some ways like just as important as the primary objective. And it was like I said, it, it gave you something to do outside of a game. It gave you the narrative of the story and really built up on it all up and yeah i think that was really well done yeah and adding to the kind of just slick production values of this each mission scenario was narrated by a certain mr nick Baton, the uh the dubious fleet commander looking after this entire sector big nathan the third i believe it was yeah. um yeah so I, I, that was that was a, that was a really cool touch as well so yeah, all that was ace and just that alone would have been an ace event but the events team just dialed it to 11 then didn't they so there's a, there's a secret at the heart pan Callis that was kind of revealed over the course of the weekend at the very start of the event during game one a, a small number of people were um selected to be a member of a secret organization uh, myself and Andy, we, we we were both um, given a tap on the shoulder by by Ed and told to come down to the main like atrium after after game one. Hmm, this is a bit this is a bit mysterious. <laughs> uh, and and during the the first game, we've been given a deck of cards uh, marked as classified. Do not share the contents of this deck with anyone. And essentially, you there's a there's a deck building element to the game. So you would look through your cards, you pick two that you'd have in your initial hand, and then you'd shuffle the rest of the deck and deal five cards into it, which 
would then give you a deck of seven cards with various buffs, like increase your aura abilities by six inches or increase the damage of a weapon by one or heal a hero. And then there was also some mysterious uh, cards on there with a flamethrower that could be used to protect you. Now, burn the Steve hive. Was, burn the hive. So Steve at the start of the event says, obviously, these are these are important cards and they can stop bad things happening to your character. You know, maybe your character will die or you'll be able to stop it that way. But at this point, nobody knows quite what they do. So that was already quite cool. Now, there's some rules. Yeah, the idea with these cards is, that, yeah, that you'd, you'd trade them, wouldn't you, during your game? Yeah, so 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 when your warlord slays a character in any fashion, you and your opponent had to trade a card. So that could happen a number of times over the game. The, the first two characters that your warlord kills and the first two characters that your opponent's warlord kills, you'd trade cards. And then at the end of the game, you'd have to trade a card. So in the first game, you're like, okay, well, I'll give them some of the rubbishy cards or... You know, I think at that point there was no strategy because we didn't really know what was going on. No. But like I said, me, me and Andy and a, and a couple of other guys had been um, told to, to go down to the atrium after the first game. So we go down there and we're greeted by Ed in his very, very discreet uh, Gene Steeler Cultist uh, disguise <laughs> in his full lab coat with a kind of uh, full mask up and some goggles. They'd gone all out with that. <laughs> and uh, he, he tells us that we have been... Uh, infected by the gene stealer cult and we are now the patriarchs of this uh the first generation the first generation gene stealers that have to slowly over the course of the event try and corrupt the entire gaming hall so we 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 gladly bowed to our new forearmed uh, gods <laughs> didn't we andy <laughs> yes we did yes we so, did. Uh, our, our, our deck was taken off us and replaced with a new deck with some new sinister twists that nobody else in the hall knew about so, um, yeah, the Cult of the Insurgent Tendril. In our deck, we had five infection cards. If we could trade an infection card to another player without them trading a flamethrower back to us, they would become infected. And then the card had instructions for them to go to a member of the events team, and the events team would then indoctrinate them into the cult as well, where they would do the same thing. Now, in a twist, obviously the way genes to the courts work is that each subsequent generation of gene stealer is stronger has more psychic powers until eventually the fourth generation gives birth to a uh, pure strain gene stealer so we didn't know what our um, children had and we didn't know what their children's children had so yeah we it became very uh, much our goal then win or lose andy to infect every single person that we played against yeah for <laughs> For for me, this was like my primary goal going in. Like as soon as Ed sort of described it to us and explained it to us, and we were just like, I, for me, this this was it. Like my first game, again, I made some silly mistakes and and it didn't. I didn't last very long. <laughs> I didn't have a lot of morals left. But as long as I could infect that my, my opponent going into that game, I was like, you know what? That's awesome. That, that's something to play for. Is that if I can do this one thing. I can do this one thing. That's awesome. So, and as, as a, I was in the hall, I had no idea, so I didn't get chosen. So I saw I saw Matt and Andy walk off and then reappear five minutes later, just with big grins on their faces. <laughs> and, then, and then we went to lunch, and you know they wouldn't tell me what had gone. I had no idea. At this point, I still had my um, my burn the high flamer cards, but no idea what they did. Um, going into my sec- second game, you know nothing unusual really happened. But then in, in in my third game, um, I was infected. So my opponent uh, swapped one of these cards with me, 
and then straight away then Ed in, in, in his jean steel came across and people huddled around me and told me all about what had gone on and what my new mission was and welcome to the Brotherhood. And you're right, I got I got some new cards added to my deck and there were some really powerful cards in there, some really cool psychic powers, some stratagems I could use. Um, and then I, I, obviously a handful of these infection cards then with, and with the instruction that I have to try and infect as, as many of my remaining opponents as I could. So that was great fun. It was it was it was genius. I, I had never had so much fun. So uh, by by the second day, I think what was it? Seventy four percent of the hall was infected. <laughs> yeah, well they came in in the second day, didn't we? And if you weren't infected, which which I was at that point, but but the the, the events team then were all wearing their gene steel garb, all their lab coats and blood smeared on the gene steel symbols on. So at that point then, the people that weren't infected thought, hang on. <laughs> what's going on <laughs> there was the big briefing to warn people that there's a there's a there's an insurrection in our midst uh, so then people then were, were were very much on their guard then going into games and then they realized then the importance of those burn the hive cards so in your sort of the trading mini game that went on in the game during the game and after the game there was a, a lot of bluffing and double bluffing to try and draw out those flamer cards so that you yeah. could land the infection cards on the opponent and I think at the end of the at the end of the whole event event, I think only four people managed to uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, avoid being infected by the G Steel cult. I mean, That's that right. was just it was so well managed and so well executed, and and like it was a complete surprise to me until it was too late. Until I got like infected, <laughs> I was like, hang on a second. But it all tied in so well to the sort of underlying story of the of the weekend. Um, and I think they did a great job there of just enhancing the sort of narrative. I mean, also I'd say as well the missions themselves. I thought the missions told a very good story. You know, your first mission, you're going in to identify a secret laboratory. There's some strange artifact there that might explain what's going on. The second mission, you're trying to either escape with that artifact after being ambushed or trying to chase down a force that's managed to retrieve it before you. Um, in one of the missions, you're trying to um, uh, activate a spaceport so you can either escape with your infected cargo or prevent the uh, enemy army from, from escaping and spreading this um gene steal a cult for, across the sector even even further um so they they i think they must have spent a lot of time putting together the sort of narrative and the, the mechanics to tell that story behind the scenes and really really enjoyable you know hats off to them really yeah, yeah. we were weren't we downstairs and, and we were like i bet this is great fun to do and there's a gambler this could just fall flat if like the, the initial batch fails to infect people after game mm. one then that whole mechanic doesn't really play out but the fact that it did and spread so rapidly just it was genius it really was yeah and and that wasn't the only sort of thing so so we've spoken about the intelligence points and data terminals you can get these this sort of car trading metagame that was going on this whole drive to infect as much of the hall as possible which is exactly what you would imagine a gene stealer cult you know that, that's exactly what it's going to be like when you're fighting in the hive across the planet's surface squads are getting infected and you don't know but but i, I think at the uh, at the end of game two just before game three we had these we had these briefings in between games um like say nick nick baton was um, um narrating them on the big screen um, but then on your lanyard, when you went into the event on, on day one, each lanyard had a different number on it. And these uh, groups of people, so if you were number one or, or group number two, you'd get called to the front desk and you'd be handed another secret mission. Um, so, so I don't know about you guys, I got a secret mission to try and um, destroy as many troops units as I could over the course of the remaining games. Yeah, I think um, it's not the easy one. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. Did, yeah. What did you get, Andy? Um, I got killed characters, I think it was. Okay, that's that's more manageable than mine. I so it was going into game three, I think we had this, yeah. and I had to kill fast or flyers 
first game after that was against an Imperial Guard tank company, and the second one a fully infantry uh, Grey Knight force. So I got a grand total of zero for my uh, secret missions, unfortunately. But it was still it was still fun and nice. It was cool that obviously everyone had these different agendas. And again, to what we were saying earlier, whether you win or loss, people would be like, "Well, actually, no, I'm going to go." For, like I had an opponent that you know their first turn wasn't going so great, but they thought, you know what, I'm going to focus on taking out these fast attacks choices which i had a lot of so they could get their uh, secret agenda yeah and that's it like 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 different intelligence that come from high command and the rewards at the end of the weekend for people who'd managed to you know the most successful people in completing their secret agendas i mean it was quite um, fitting there was no reward for first place second place third place all of the rewards were in the spirit of sort of the weekend and the crusade. You know, people were able to come. If you'd been infected by the gene stealer cult, come forward, collect your reward at the end of the weekend. If you'd managed to avoid being infected, come forward, collect your reward at the end of the weekend. This person has got the most success in their in their secret mission. Come forward, collect your special reward. It was great. Really, really cool. It really was. Um, yeah, and, and speaking of that, they've also changed slightly the way they do best army votes. I think they might have done this in some recent events, but essentially they had, they had uh, you know, six nominations. I think it was like they normally do, and then they have a first, second, and third prize prize based on um, attendee votes. Where I think in the past they used to just have first place, didn't they, as a as a prize? Yeah. But then in addition to that, they'd also have a judges vote as well. Um, and Jay, you you you, uh, I think wowed the judges with the ultramarines. Oh, yeah, I, so yeah, I got I got the judges best army award. I, I was really really chuffed with this. I, I really really um I I couldn't really express it, but it was very very exciting to receive that award for for the ultramarines. Um, there were some really really nice um armies at, at the event as well. Um, a, a lovely Tau army uh, with a, a, like a bright orange color scheme. I was really surprised to see so many um, really nice Black Templars armies painted up, considering that that short uh, space of time, really, isn't it? Really? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, the, the, the army I took was just a, a standard Ultramarines army. But I, I, the, the story that was sort of developed for that army over the course of the weekend, which we'll talk about shortly, I, I'm really looking forward to building a sort of a crusade army, proper crusade army for the next event, you know, where you can model the sort of battle scars that people have got on yeah. you know, units have picked up and things. Um, and I... I, I yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to see. It seemed like a very, very popular event, and if people really sort of engage with that and, and, and embrace it, we might see some really, really cool crusade-themed armies in future as well. At those sort of um, at that sort of you know for those awards. And, but yeah, I was really, really happy to, um, to to get that award. Yeah. So should we have a quick quick cover of what armies did? So I took the Beast Snaggers, commanded by Rock Bogger Sunripper. I'd, uh, with it being a crusade event, I wanted to name all my characters, write a bit of lore, and I think we kind of made a gentleman's agreement between us. If we ever got a level up or a battle scar, we would roll randomly and then just play that into our like overarching na- narrative that we had. I, yeah. I thought that was the best way to play through it in the spirit of it, and I think I'd, I'd definitely do the same next time. You know, yeah, yes, you might get some battle scars you, you, that are really bad for you. Yes, you might get some upgrades that aren't the greatest for you. But within the kind of net of the overall event, it just worked. So I had some stuff like my, my kill rig with um, the, the name of Big Sally, which people people found entertaining. I I, I think that's quite mean on Big Sally. Um, <laughs> in, her, in her first game, she got a, um, a battle scar and stubbed her toe, so she was my minus two movement which was which was a bit of a shame however in a, in a later game she managed to get some new 
augmentic parts to uh, speed her up again, kind of getting rid of the penalty of a, a reduced movement, which kind of narratively, even though it was all randomly rolled, fit. And you had something very similar happen to your uh, Ultramarines, didn't you, Jay? <laughs> yeah, so in my in my um, fourth game against the Grey Knights, uh, Captain Talorian um, suffered an out, failed an out-of-action test um, in, in um, melee combat with a Nemesis Grandmaster Dread Knight. And um, we rolled on the out-of-actions table, we were up to two, and it turns out he'd lost a leg. Um, but luckily enough, the, uh, the the character had earned enough experience during that game to, to um, level up. And so we're in a battle on her. Um, and he actually, I thought, well, at this point, you know, I, 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 what I'll do is I'll go to the Crusades because there's a, a bionics upgrade for the character. So I purchased the bionics for him and he ended up, you know, with a bionic leg to replace the leg he'd lost at the hands of the uh, Grey Knight uh, Grandmaster. Now, I have to say, the Ultramarines army suffered quite a few battles <laughs> over the weekend. Um, and, and, um, I, and I did the same as you, Matt. I, I rolled for them randomly and kept them. Um, I, it, it just made, I don't know, I just really sort of enjoyed playing through the story and, and the, 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 the knocks and scrapes my force took as the battle to uncover the mystery that's going on Pancalis. And I didn't, feel that it affected my enjoyment all right sure you know my um blade guard veteran squad from game two couldn't actually contest any objectives <laughs> you know in a match play game that's pretty pretty important but in a crusade game it didn't make any difference you know it, it didn't really affect the enjoyment of my game at all um a lot of my opponents that i played i have to say they were quite high crusade level so crusade has a balancing mechanic every time a unit levels up or receives an upgrade they, they receive a, a crusade level point as well and then the the difference between crusade levels of opposing forces that the, the the um weaker crusader force gets some command points to sort of try and balance mm. out the, the fact that one army has a lot more upgrades than the other um and i did find in in a lot of my games i was always the uh, the underdog so i often received between five and six diff, uh, extra <laughs> uh, command points um and you know I, there were uh, moments where, where where units which ordinarily would be quite equally matched against which other, I would struggle, you know, in that in that situation. But it, it didn't affect the enjoyment of the game. Um, and I wonder if in future events, when people get more experience playing through Crusade, they may sort of embrace the battle scar side of the Crusade sort of uh, system, as well as just the upgrades as well. A lot of my opponents didn't really have any battle scars. They used their acquisition points to, uh, to, to erase them, basically, to, to void them. And I wonder if um, going forward that the events team could perhaps maybe include some sort of incentive for players to keep those battle scars. I mean, yeah, they're doing... I... Oh, go on. Sorry, Jay. I was going to say, you know, that it's a perfectly valid way to play Crusade. And, and like I say, I did not not enjoy any one of my games. They were all fantastic. Um, but it would be cool to come up against, you know, an old war boss who's maybe lost one eye and is even worse at shooting, or uh, a Chaos Sorcerer who, you know, perils on every double instead of just on a double one and double six because of some catastrophe that happened in an earlier game. It just... I found with this event, you know, the games we were given two and a half hours for each game, 50 minutes through Crusade. I had plenty of time to talk to my opponent, find out how their weekend had gone, find out how their games had gone, how their Crusade was going. And I, I, I think, you know, there was enough time there to share those sort of war stories with each other. If people yeah. sort of embrace the battle scar element. Yeah, I, I, oh, sorry, Andy. <laughs> I had um, so in, in all five of my games, I got tabled Um various different levels and and every time i took an out of action test out of the 30 out of action tests i took over the entire weekend i only failed one <laughs> and i was a maximum yeah, yeah 
and I was on maximum requisition points with nothing to spend it on. So the only thing I could spend it on was was to um, get rid of the, the battle scar. But yeah, yeah, there was um, I think my last round opponent, um, a guy called Rupert, who was using uh, World Eaters. He had um, a hell brute that was minus one to hit. Um, minus one to wound, <laughs> minus two movement, re-roll and sixes to hit. And I was just like, oh, my word, you know, why why haven't you re- recuperated? And he just said to me, well, World Eaters wouldn't recuperate. They would just keep fighting. They would just that's keep brilliant. going. Yeah. And I was just like, you know what, bravo, bravo. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I really like that. My, my only kind of maybe feedback to the events team would be, It'd be cool if I've seen the event pack. We've got the uh, we've got the stratagems. We've got the the battle plans. We've got the agendas. I'd like to see something in there that obviously use Pancalis for an example. Due to the fact that we're cut off in this remote sector, you cannot use requisition points to ignore uh, battle scars. Yeah. You've got to wait until the campaign is over. You go back to your flagship, back to your planet, whatever, and after the event, yeah, you can fix all them with your medics and stuff, but due to the situation on Pancalis, you can't do that. And instead of that, have a list of different things you can spend your requisition points on. So we had a really cool mechanic with the with the, with the gem, the intel points to spend, but maybe tie that into requisition. So rather than healing up their characters, it encouraged people to use that requisition for other things, and then, yeah. and then you, you, you play along with the injured characters, and that adds we were talking about this on the on the drive back, weren't we? That in Crusade, the fact that you've got all these upgrades and stuff, the the battle scars act as a balancing mechanic. But if you are just able to ignore them, it doesn't matter. That's where you start having the gulf between the different units. Yeah, I mean, you could even use some sort of like um, uh, rewards to, you know, okay, you can't use that requisition point to to remove a battle scar, but maybe in one of the missions, there's like a apothecary unit you can rescue that will give you one free repair on one of your units or you know tie yeah. it to the missions or the rewards itself rather than just allowing people to spend i mean it wasn't a big problem don't get me wrong it wasn't and it, it like i say I, I was playing quite a lot of high level crusade forces and it didn't affect my enjoyment and people are free to play crusade how they want that's the whole point of crusade hmm. um but i think it, i think it, it could improve the experience for everybody if you know if there were more battle scars in play <laughs> Yeah, and most of the spend requisition points on because, like Andy, you're the situation yeah. where really you you you, yeah. you guys hadn't leveled up so you couldn't buy anything. They weren't injured so you couldn't heal yourself. It'd be nice even if it was I don't know in the the um the trading deck maybe you could buy I don't know at the front desk they've got some mystery envelopes for three requisition you Ooh, can buy yeah, them. might be something good might be something bad. People yeah. would spend the requisition points on them. Yeah, rather than removing yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. Well, that's a win-win then, isn't it? Because you're getting the advantage of people keeping battle scars, but people are still getting something cool in in, in exchange, which is ace. Maybe. I mean, it, it could be a card that fixes a battle scar. Brilliant. Uh, yeah. You know, it's. I, I think that'd be something fun that maybe just gives you another way to spend the requisition points. But like Jay says, it's, that's minor, minor criticism, yeah. really. I, I I loved the event so much. Um, yeah, it was it was really really cool. So um. You know, we play five games, uh, three games on the first day, two games on the, on the last day. I mean, we'll be here all night, I think, talking about every single game we played and, and all the moments because there were so many cool moments. But did you have any highlights from your games or do you want to briefly talk about your games? Well, should we? We've got our top three Pancalis moments. I think we'll end off this segment with and maybe cover some of those in there. Um, my kind of 
short summary i guess summary review of the event it'd be um yeah it's amazing i can't wait to do another one i really hope they do an age of sigma one because i think that'd be really cool you could do some really fun stuff with like a big world map and the different territories that you get in a path to glory game um yeah i, I think I was, they were testing the water with this one and obviously it's been a it's probably been quite an expensive event with all the you know the event packs and the mm. cards and all that kind of stuff and certainly all the people I played against and the general buzz in the room was, if personally, it's the best weekend of Warhammer 40k I've ever had. Well, it was just all the cheering and all the booing and stuff during yeah. the event when, you know, the Gene Steelers, you know, the, the cultist was sort of um, made aware everyone knew who they were. And then at the end, when people were getting the rewards for the Spirit Pancalis Award and things like that, it was really, really cool. Everyone really, really enjoyed it. I got the impression. Yeah. yeah, I think as far as campaign weekends go, that was by far the best one I've ever had. I mean, like I've never had a bad event at Warhammer. I think the event staff do like a natural, absolute phenomenal job running their events. Upon like a little bit of self-reflection when I was driving home, I, I, I feel like I didn't really embrace it as much as I could have. Like I didn't really write any narrative for my force. I didn't really name any of my units and i kind of came away from it thinking i I painted up the gray knights just so i'd have a a nice easy army to play in 40k and that was kind of what they were doing but i think going into future events like especially like seeing some of the armies and and just the the narrative detail that some of these um players went into about this event i think going into another future event I'm I'm really going to just jump fully into that narrative and really um, focus on, you know, why is my army there? Who is my army? What are their agendas going into the weekend? That sort of stuff. And I came away from it. I mean, on the Sunday, I played a guy called Dan and a guy called Rupert. And Dan was running Red Corsairs and Rupert was running World Eaters. And I got to play two Chaos Armies, which I think going into next year, Chaos Space Marines are going to be like my they are the one that I really want to jump into and one of the things that's always excited me about that faction is the narrative and the story from them and so for me coming away from this weekend I was like wouldn't it be super cool to have a Night Lord jump pack themed chaos army that I can use <laughs> in you know just for crusades you know I don't have to paint or you know build it up to 2,000 points or anything I can just build up you know 50 power level because I, I think I don't know about you guys, but I think 50 power level for me was the perfect size game. Was, yeah. 40K. Was. Well, they were playing on the full size boards, weren't they, with 50 power level? And yeah, it was great. It was fantastic. I mean, we've spoken about this in the past at 50 power level, where it's just enough that you can include a cool unit or two, but not enough that you can spam those extra strong units. So you get quite a cool sort of balanced don't you? balanced yeah. army don't you yeah so i mean we've we on the, on the, the videos and the battle reports that we've done in the past we've we've gone at you know the 2000 points and it takes a long time to do and then when we started doing the live streams and embracing the kind of narrative play 50 power 600 point path of glory if the game still works as a game you've still got tactical choices to make strategic decisions to do but you've got limited kind of bodies, resources. You've, it's still a, a really tight, close, fun game without having to have all the miniatures. And, and from a modelling point of view, something I'd like to do next time, and maybe inspired by the fact I was corrupted into a filthy Gene Stealer cultist day one, <laughs> um, 
I've got a I've got a gene to do the court army, and obviously we've got the new codex on the horizon and the new uh, battle box on the way. I'd kind of like to do ready for the next one and, and, and write the narrative and, and, and even down to modeling some different models to represent them as they level up and swap them out over the event to show their okay, kind of progression idea. and injuries and then yeah. write a story and have them as the next generation offshoot of the the few maybe ships that escaped from Pancalis with some cultists in the hold and and the story of where they go next into the next Warhammer World event yeah good idea on on the on the back of that Matt I've been very quiet during the segment taking this all in because unfortunately I didn't get to go I mean I I absolutely will sell a kidney to go to the next one um <laughs> and and what it has also fired me up to do is as we go into uh 2022 I think my main sort of objective come the turn of the year is we'd like to get on board with like the new year new army kind of vibe Mm. don't we uh as a general rule and i definitely want to use that as an opportunity to um really delve into a crusade army so not like andy uh, just said like not look to build a a 2000 point army but tie into the new year new army and and create a crusade force with all this background you know I can't wait to kind of go through all my current codexes, all the codexes I don't own yet for 9th edition, have a look at all those Crusade contents and maybe make a decision based on that, on what I'd like to start. And then hopefully, you know, like you say, everybody seemed like they had an absolutely fantastic weekend. I think it's a given we're going to see um, one of these next year. Absolutely pull out all the stops to, to make sure I get an army there. Yeah, yeah. It, it, was, it was highly, highly recommended. Massive shout out to the events team who put on a great event little segue here as well how good was the food over the event as well (laughs) (laughs) in the past in the past some of some of the food events i think it's safe to say it's been hit and miss hasn't it yeah sometimes you saw you were out in bugman's having something off the menu there instead yeah but oh it it was it was amazing the food was so good very tasty yeah my my only criticism is i couldn't go back for seconds (laughs) <laughs> well you did didn't you you went back for one second after you spilt your drink on me well, <laughs> i should have known at that point he was trying to infect me that was the sign <laughs> that was it yeah he was, he was trying to swap the, the the drinks wasn't he and with his extra hand was have knocked it out of the way oh well <laughs> excellent excellent stuff um i think at this point um we're going to take a, a a slight pause before we go into the top three but what i will also say is uh, i know all three of you guys are, are going to put some content on the website uh, i think in fact jay you might already have one on as we're recording um ready to roll yes. day one yeah that's right of the ultramarines so this this sort of describes the sort of i put a lot of um, um narrative to explain what the ultramarines were up to in between missions and across the course of the weekend uh, so day one's up there now uh, with a sort of like really review of how the Ultramarines got on, my opponents, the armies who I was facing, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, so I will put links to to both Jay's and, and, and any articles that, that um, Matt and uh, Andy put up as well before the podcast goes live. So you can check those out. But do keep an eye on spruceandbruce.com because we'll have more content going on there as well. Um, so we'll let the guys get uh, a bit of a breath back and then we'll come back with this week's top three. The Crusade content does not stop there because this week's top three, we're going to be asking the three guys for their top three favourite moments from over the weekend. Um, just like the other segment, really looking forward to, to hearing what you guys have got to say. Um, Jay, do you want to start us off with your uh, your top three moments? Yeah, I will. So uh, my, my number three uh, moment had to be 
that that moment after game one where I, I looked up and Andy and Matt had been tapped on the shoulder and taken off into a, a, a side room along with a couple of other players. And I remember thinking, what's going on there? Looking around, everyone else is looking around, thinking, what's going on? The event staff that remained in the room were sort of not giving anything away. Thinking, what is this? This is a bit strange, just the sort of mystery of it all. And then a few minutes later to see Matt and Andy come back with those grins on their faces. And then uh, they wouldn't give anything away. I remember over lunch, they were just dropping little little comments and little remarks and things like hinting that they knew something that I didn't. And maybe <laughs> not everything was as it seemed. It was infuriating, but it was so, so cool. Um, so that was my number three choice. Um, my number two choice um, has to be at the end of game three, when I got infected. <laughs> because it all happened. So it was like, it was just, I had no idea it was coming. And I'd, I, 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 my opponent, Phil, was playing the Orcs. And he'd had some, it's fair to say he'd had some problems with morale during that game. So, so I decided in my trade, I was going to give him some of my morale buffing cards to sort of help him out in the next couple of games. But he, he completely backstabbed me and, and gave me this infected <laughs> card. And I had no burn that because I mean I, I didn't know what these burn the hive cards did. So I was sort of keeping them safe. I wasn't trading them. I was trying to keep them in my hand or keep them in my deck when I didn't draw them because I didn't want to lose them. Um but but obviously I had to use them to protect myself from this infection card that I didn't even know existed. But then as soon as he'd give it to me, he was laughing his head off. And as soon as he stopped laughing, I turned around and there was Ed, one of the uh, events team and different people running over to me telling me all about what was going on, handing me new cards. Shh, don't tell anyone else. This is a... Oh, it's so brilliant. It's such a cool experience. So so that was my um, my second choice. Um, and then, of course, Andy and Matt then coming over then, because they knew all along. They'd been trying to infect me the whole, whole morning. They were trying to transpire <laughs> to make sure I got infected. It was so, so good. Um, so that was my number two choice. My number three choice. So <sighs> I had some great games this weekend. Uh, my first opponent, Andy, was um, playing Blood Angels. Um, so we come up with some narrative of why the Ultramarines and Blood Angels would be fighting over the location of this secret laboratory. Um, and um, he was he was a great sport. He he built a firstborn Blood Angels army. He was trying to, um, you know, his, his sort of backstory was he was very upset with Gulliman, actually, and, and the Ultramarines. We had a grudge to bear against the Ultramarines. The Ultramarines, Gulliman had arrived with the Primaris reinforcements uh, at the, uh, the conclusion of the uh, Battle of Baal to save the day and steal the glory. And he had a bit of a grudge about that. So he was here to show the Ultramarines a thing or two about, you know, restore the Blood, blood Angels' honour. Um, I have... Dave, I know your dice rolling is very, very bad, you know. <laughs> and, and like, when I compare dice rolls, I always think, oh, that was a bad, bad, bad set of dice rolls. But at least it wasn't as bad as what Dave normally rolls. You know, it sort <laughs> of makes me feel a bit better. This guy will give you a run for your money, Dave. So <laughs> so um, I had my, my, my Redemptive Dreadnoughts marching forward, and he had... He had melter guns on his um, melter pistols on his sanguinary guard. He had he had a devastator squad with rocket launchers. He had inferno pistols, squads with combi melters. He could not roll a two on a uh, sorry a three plus on his wound dice with all of those weapons. He must have fired two turns. He spent firing all those weapons, and not one melter shot got through to my dreadnoughts. Um, he took nice. it all and he was really, really cool about it. It was really cool. So he, you know, and and there was lots of moments like that for other games, but that wasn't my best moment. My best moment came in game three. I was playing a, a chap called Phil who had a, an orc army. He, it was mainly beast snagger boys, big units of beast snagger boys, 
a war boss, a pain boss, some Squickhog boys, some some Storm boys. Really, really cool looking army. And th- in this particular mission, what 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 we had to do is um, the defender obviously had, had managed to keep hold of these um, these vials of unknown news that they'd collected at the beginning of the weekend, and their warlord had to um, stay within a certain section of the board to analyse these uh, vials and perform these um, analyse actions on the vials to collect victory points. Uh, meanwhile, the rest of his force was deployed on the front line to hold back the attacking force, which was myself, who were trying to reach the warlord and slay him before he could complete these analyze actions. Um, so I was very lucky here that, that I rolled to be the attacker, as, because at that point, my captain had suffered a battle trait, which prevented him from performing any actions. So <laughs> it had been me defending. I'd have been struggling to analyze these battles anyway. Um, so we, we, we set up, we deployed... The big hordes of green skins start straight at my um, defensive gun line. You know, I got one turn of shooting off, I think, before the, the Ultramoons were fighting in melee against the, the, the green tide of orcs. My dreadnoughts were in the midst of these 60 Beast Snagger boys, taking tons of damage from, from the Beast Snaggers. I mean, they, they are good at killing vehicles, but they wouldn't go down. I had my captain and his entourage fighting the Squig Hog boys. My heavy intercessor squads were behind my line, getting assaulted by the, the Storm boys who dropped in. Phil's war boss was supposed to stay on this point to do these analyze actions, but being the orc it was, decided, hang on, lads, I need to get into that scrap. He abandoned his primary objective to charge his, his orc war boss towards the ultra-wing line to join in with his scrap with the dreadnoughts. Um, he made it into combat with the dreadnoughts. He did a ton of damage to the dreadnoughts, um, and, and, and my dreadnought in return did a ton of damage. Brother Brutus swung back with his redemptive power fist and, and, and almost killed the warlord. The Warlord had two wounds remaining, and it was uh, Brother Agrippa, my, my other Redemptor Dreadnought's turn to uh, attack. Um, now, one of the rewards we got from the first mission was this vial, these vials of unknown news, and, and different people, depending on how well they did in that mission, got different quantities of them. So Phil still had some of these vials remaining, and what they did is you could use it at any time, and there was a uh, you rolled a dice. On a four to six, you would heal that many wounds to your character. On a one to three, you would deal that many mortal wounds to that character instead. So Phil's war boss had two wounds left. Facing up against Brother Agrippa, who was just about to come in swinging with his redemptor, redemptor fist. So he decided to neck one of these vials and rolled a two. <laughs> I can, so I can, I can picture this orc analysing this tube, just having yeah. a look at it, sniffing it, and then just swigging it and keeling over dead. <laughs> exactly what happened. The pain boy was like, Slapping his forehead. Ah, oh, boss, that's not how you do science. <laughs> oh, it was so good. It was such a good game. So, and, and, and I mean, and that's just that's that's what a crusade game can give you that a match play game can't give you. So if there was ever like a, a the, the the you know a, a a perfect example of a of a crusade game, that would be it. It was great. Um, I, I I also you know like I say I had I had I had lots of great opponents for the game. So so Andy and his Blood Angels. I played another Andy with a Thousand Suns army, which was a really really super strong army. Great fun to play against. Um, uh, Stephen controlling the Grey Knights. He he, give the Ultramarines a pasting with those Grey Knights bouncing all over the place um, and and and, and smash the leg of my Primaris Captain Talorian. Uh, and then finally in the last game, Dave, this would have been a good game for you. Was a, my opponent was a, a chap called Dan who was um, um, commanding a Death Watch uh, force. Really really fun. cool to play against that one. So in, in this final mission, we were racing to to um, restore power to the spaceport so that we could either escape Pancalis or escape Pancalis to spread the infection further. Um, and, and the Death Watch were really, really true. He was using lots of fire teams, um, combat squad in them, so we had bikes and troops and things. Um, but but 
all, all five of my opponents really got into the spirit of the of the weekend. And, and, and like I say, I think it helped that we had the two and a half hours to play the games because you really got to know your opponents yeah. and you could have a laugh about certain things that were, could, were happening. And, and, you know, there were so many moments during the games where, I mean, Phil's war boss, he, he, he was two inches short of the charge into my dreadnoughts when he tried to get in there. Phil, let's just, let's just make it happen. Let's, let's give him those two extra inches so we can get into the charge. You know, it's all about... The, 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 the story that's being told on the battlefield so it was really really cool so that, they were they were my best moments I think there was more than three in there and of course winning the, the best army award as well is up there too so I think there's like a best a best 30 the moments moment. there, I'm afraid <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> excellent um, Andy uh, would you like to go next what were your top three moments from over the weekend uh, so my top three moments um, so over over weekend my my characters were so I took um, an apothecary and a brother ancient and over the course of the weekend you get a um, experience point for just for taking part in the game now my apothecary and my brother ancient ended the event on five experience points because just for taking part and I thought to myself you know what in, in, in game four, when I was playing Dan's Red Corsairs, there was a moment where he deep struck a unit of Terminators behind me. And I was like, OK, the only thing I've got behind me to guard this objective is an apothecary with a halberd. You know, he's, he's you know, looks intimidating, whatever. And he he turns around, smites a Terminator, does a does a mortal wound. A librarian standing next to him smites and kills about two Terminators. I'm like, sweet, wicked, awesome. And then I thought, you know what? There's only two Terminators left. My apothecary's okay in combat. He's not bad. I'll charge him in. And and if he can do this, if he can kill these two Terminators, I'll give him some experience points. Needless to say, he did not kill the Terminator. (laughs) (laughs) He charged in, and um, my friend, uh, my my opponent, I suppose he is my friend now. My opponent Dan said to me, he was like, "Oh, don't worry, you should realistically kill them." And I was like, "Oh, you haven't seen my dice rolls, Dan." You've not played Andy before. <laughs> <laughs> so so I rolled to get like four attacks, ro- rolling to hit, freeze to hit, and I of course roll three ones. And a hit. And I was like, sweet, okay, maybe I can kill one. Maybe I can kill one. I can draw this combat out. That's no problem. So strength six with a halberd, you know, with terminators, so we're only toughness four. I'm like, okay, a three to wound. Another one. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> and of course Dan's face just lights up. He's like, What? How did what? No, what? And I'm like, Yeah, that's my dice rolls. And needs us to say. He attacks back, and I'm like, just roll with Power Fist. Just roll with Power Fist, Dan. That'd be, be enough. And I'm, I said to him, I was like, oh, um, have you got one of those cards that gives you plus one to hit? Like this combat knife that I had in my um, my um, deck of cards, the, the, the deck of cards that we've been given at the event. And he's like, oh, yeah, I do, actually. And I was like, oh, yeah, I should have played mine, but it wouldn't have made it. <laughs> he's like, okay, I'll play mine. He plays his. His Terminators with his Power Fist go from hitting on fours to hitting on threes. And he hits with all three. I'm like, okay, that's a good start. Yeah, that's all right. That's not bad. That's pretty good. And uh, wounded me on twos. Wounds with all three. I'm like, okay, I'm going to make at least one of these everyone saves. Fail all three and the Apothecary dies. And I was just like, (laughs) right, okay. 
You are Ooh. not getting an MVP this game, Mr. Apothecary. You are standing <laughs> over there. You, you can't heal anyone. And um, yeah, it, it was it was just a very funny moment for the game. Now, my second best moment of the weekend was, uh, and, and this was really hard. This was really, really hard because, uh, again, notable mention, my first round opponent was a guy called Spike. And this was his first ever event up at Warhammer World. So needless to say, you know, we we had a great laugh. It was, you know, I wanted to, because there's a lot of pressure sometimes when you're, you're playing, especially against new players, because you are in many ways like an emissary for this hobby. Anyway, mm. he, you know, there were so many great events. But my second choice was game five. I played a World Eaters army and a guy called Rupert. And Rupert deployed a unit of 10 cultists, or as he had called them, the meat shield, <laughs> and a hellbrute on the right-hand flank. And his hellbrute, like, like I said, is unbelievably battle-scarred, like so unbelievably battle-scarred. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to charge some Terminators in. It's a 10-inch charge, you know, if I make it, great. If I don't, great, fine, whatever. And I rolled it, rolled a double six, and they got in. And I'm like, okay, sweet. I'm not really scared about the cultists. The cultists are, you know, whatever, they're fine. But the Hellbrute, I'm kind of scared about, even though it's got all these battle scars. And I threw the Demon Hammer, threw the Justicar, and my Terminators are all on with swords. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to do the Hammer and two guys into the Hellbrute and two more guys into the cultists. So despite the fact that I was charging and he's fresh out of command points, I killed one cultist. Hmm. And I was just like, oh, my days. And this was kind of a theme from out the weekend. There was definitely one or two units in my army that shone and the rest of the units might as well have not have been there. And this game for me, the Terminators were just like, oh, well, we're a bit tired now. It's game five, you know. We can't kill. And anyway, the cultist ended up doing a wound back as an insult. (laughs) Okay. And then right at the end of the combat, Rupert does his Hellbrute last. He's only got like three or four attacks as well. Rerolling sixes, minus one to hit, minus one to wound. And he still kills three Terminators. And I was just like, you know what? I'm okay with that because of like. If I can only kill one cultist, they deserve it. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, that that was a very funny game. But, but I mean, there's loads of moments from that game. I I charged a Nemesis Dread Knight and a Librarian into Calm the Betrayer and eight Berserkers, thinking it's better to charge them than it is to charge me. No, no, it didn't really make any difference. Now, I, I went in Librarian killed about four Calm Berserkers. There's a handful left. He interrupts with Khan. Khan just goes, whoop, kills my librarian. And then in his turn two or turn three, I think it was, Khan just charges the Nemesis Dread Knight and kills the Nemesis Dread Knight in one shot like it's not even there. So, yeah, those those loads of moments. I mean, you know, shout out to the rest of my opponents. You know, I, I played a guy called Spike in the first game, Lawrence in second, Phil with his Dark Angels in the third, Dan with Red Corsairs in the fourth, and Rupert in the fifth. All of them were absolutely phenomenal. Like I would happily play any of them again. It was, it was great. So my first choice, I really had to think about this. Really had to think about this. But for me, it was just my 
feelings and perception about Crusade coming out of this weekend? Because for for me, I've always been on the fence with Crusade. You know, there's a lot of bookkeeping. Sometimes it feels a, a little bit overwhelming. You know, you need to know the rules for 40K and then you need to know all these Crusade rules on top of it. But for me, one of the things that the event staff did so well was they made me feel confident about playing crusade they simplified it enough and for me with all the twists you know having the investigation points trying to corrupt my opponents you know this sort of stuff it despite the fact that i only won one game and i was getting tabled in every single game (laughs) i was still having so much fun because of all this like experience points that i was gaining these agendas that i was doing or you know all this stuff all that stuff that makes up crusade and for me coming away from it the, my my top choice was just my level of enthusiasm you know if they had done another two days you know straight away i would have i'd still be there you know yeah. and, and coming away from it i i came away with such an enthusiasm so many ideas now through crusade but i kind of just wanted to walk into my local games workshop tomorrow and pick up a, a brand new chaos space breed army you know i i came away with so many ideas and, and enjoyment of this crusade weekend so for me my my top choice and it's a bit of a cop-out but it's literally the whole thing you know it's my enthusiasm throughout the the whole event was just an all-time high so yeah for for me my my top choice is uh, the whole event basically <laughs> excellent no that that sounds fair enough to me i'll I'll lay off for that one andy um matt that leaves um your good self what what, what were your top three moments well I'll, I'll wrap up with my my favorite moments from the weekend so my first game appeared to my opponent mike who had an ultramarines army and um yeah we, we 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 both witnessed the ridiculous charge of the squigs it was it was beautiful a whole <laughs> Mike was saying it was like something out of Warhammer Fantasy. We had a whole like wheeling cavalry charge on the side of the table as the the smasher squigs start smashing through his units. There's a stratagem if if you've not played the orcs where if the smasher squig takes out a unit on the charge, it can immediately make another charge. So these smasher squigs were kind of like breaching their way through the defense lines as the big squad of squig hog boys swings around and charges into the main line. We had so much fun, even though Mike faced the devastation of those squigs. We were both just laughing at how like graceful this squig charge was. It was <laughs> it was beautiful. Um, the second one, and this is a this is a bittersweet one. So as we said, me, me and Andy had big stupid grins on our face, and I think one of the first things we said to each other was, "We have to corrupt Jay." So um, obviously the the tendrils of the Gene Stealer cult spreads wide. And uh, we even had some sneaky spies in the event staff seeing, like, what was in Jay's hand, what was in his opponent's hand. I remember them coming over. (laughs) Yeah. At the time, I was thinking, oh, what's going on there? I wonder if it's some other secret surprise or something that's going on. As I noticed Steve going through through my deck on the side of my table. No idea that he was scheming to infect me. (laughs) So, yeah. So, so, yeah, the the fact that Jay fell to the insidious nature of the court was my second moment tarnished a little bit by i wanted to do the kill and blow myself <laughs> win or lose i'd have i'd have taunted jay out to get revenge because we've, we've recently fought with these armies haven't we and um have you, yeah. you used to have nightmares about it so i thought I was gonna, I'd, I'd give you a win jay i was gonna you know tee you up to give you a win maybe trade you a i don't know a, a nice card like on a warlord kill 
and then drop the uh, the infestation card at the end and ruin your weekend. <laughs> well, I, I felt I felt bad about it for a split second, but then this calm came over me and I sort of embraced my new uh, my new overlords. <laughs> found found peace with the uh, four armed emperor. <laughs> but then my top moment, I forget. I probably come over it was Dan with his black Templar, not black Templars, Death Watch, or Mike and his Ultramarines. One of them. Um, obviously in New York, the New York Codex is a bit of a new mechanic in there where if a character that isn't your warlord gets more experience, he immediately makes a challenge to control a tribe. And there's a requisition thing you can spend to make this not happen. Why on earth would you not want that to happen? It's the most amazing thing ever. So uh, the, the knob on Smash Squig, it must have been it must have been after the game with Mike because he'd killed so much stuff on his uh, glorious squig charge. And, and the war boss was like sat at the back, like picking his nose or something. And... Uh, yeah, he's all cocky. He rides up on his squig and challenges my war boss to a fight. The war boss graciously accepts and immediately smashes him in the face, breaks his nose. And uh, yeah, for the rest of the event, he, he can no longer um, heroically intervene. He could no longer be the subject of auras. He was quite badly damaged and spent the rest of the weekend gearing up for the inevitable showdown to face my uh, my war boss. And unfortunately, that story arc didn't end because towards the end of the event, uh, the war boss thought, well, hang on a second here, I need to spread the will of the cult and get off this planet. And the guy in the Smasher Squeak's probably a bit quicker than me. So, uh, yeah, there's probably one more game until we see this uh, epic showdown happen. But it's just stuff like that you wouldn't get in a normal tournament, would you? No. Where where mid game you've got your opponent rolling dice to see if one of your models kills your own warlord. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. And I was um, willing to want to do it. I, you know, I would not have minded if if my warlord had faced a horrific injury and uh, and and teeth cracker had taken over the tribe. Alas, <laughs> it wasn't to be, and he was put in his place. But you know, you need to keep watching over his shoulder in case it happens again. <laughs> Amazing. Guys, it sounds like you had such a such a good weekend. Um very jealous that I uh, I missed out on it. Um but yeah, look, looking forward to when they, they announce the next one. Uh I think that almost wraps up this week's podcast. We do have one final segment, so we will be right back. And so we come to uh, a brief final segment of this week's show because uh, unfortunately we don't we don't have a community top three this week uh, with it being quite a, a structured top three for the the event the guys went to uh, this weekend but we are going to have one next week aren't we Matt? Yeah and on an events theme it's, it's an oldie but a goodie we want to know the top three events you have been to and why. So you can get your uh, answers in um, as, you know as soon as you can via our social media facebook.com forward slash spruce and bruise or head over to twitter and at spruce and bruisers or you can wait until the sort of sunday monday of next week and um, when we put out a, a tweet and a facebook message asking for your top threes and pop a reply on there uh, and then we'll read as many as we can out on next week's episode um i will at this moment take um a moment just to say thank you again to chris for joining us for this week's podcast and talking about um the elder scrolls uh, action board game again there are links in the podcast um notes so that you can check out uh, the game uh, found page and more information about elder scrolls and also calls to arms um and as I mentioned earlier on as well, do keep an eye on spruceandbruise.com because there will be more content going up from the guys in regards to the, the weekend they've just had uh, at Warhammer World uh, and all the shenanigans that, that, that took place. 
I think that brings this week's episode to a close. We will be back again next week. And until then, have a great week at Hobby. And we'll speak to you all again very soon. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to the Sprues and Brews podcast. For more content, remember to check out spruesandbrews.com. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, send us a tweet at spruesandbrews.com or head over to facebook.com forward slash sprues and brews.